we're rolling now. Are we? Yeah, we're, we're rolling right exactly now. Right, okay. Um, I hope you're ready. Yeah. Good, because I'm counting us down, baby. A three, a two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hey guys, welcome to Missing Out. I'm Tari J. I am Lex Michael. Yeah, and this is the retrospective that's introspective. What we're doing today is we're going to be reviewing a nice album by Neutral (laughs) Milk Hotel. A nice album. Yeah. Uh, The album is In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, a 1998 album of Lex Michael's recommendation. I feel like... I feel like if you're going to apply the, like, sultry Barry White voice uh-huh. uh when talking about an album this is one of the more interesting albums you could pick for that because <laughs> as you may have noticed it's it's like one of the whiter albums that there is in terms of sound you're referring to the white album by jay-z that's the one got it sure. wait there's the black album it's by the black Jay-Z. album by jay-z and it's the white album by the, the beatles. beatles yes yeah. i always get those confused because of the gray album there's a gray album? Yeah, the gray album is when someone mashed up Jay-Z and the Beatles to create the the gray album. This sounds vaguely familiar to me, but I've definitely not heard it. It was at the very beginning of the uh, mashup craze. So some dude just got bored and decided to mix the white album and the black album, created the gray album, went gangbusters on the internet, and started a mashup sensation, and then caused the, uh, I forget the name of the uh, Jay-Z Linkin Park album, but it something, started that Is it something craze. theory, or is something theory just the Linkin Park album? Uh, hybrid theory is That's the, the Linkin Park album, yes. Right. Um, I think, I want to say it's called like Worlds Collide or some stuff. If you know, tweet us. Um, all I all I am thinking about now is at a certain point, I think Grizzly Bear had just released an album, and Jay Z commented on it at some point, where he's like, "Grizzly Bear, I love that sound. That sounds the future of hip hop." And I'm still waiting for that mashup album. Maybe it's out there, and I just like I I missed it completely, which is totally possible. It's totally possible that I missed it, and it just hasn't occurred to me to search for it because I assume it's not a thing yet. I mean. Why would you? Why wouldn't you do that every day? Like when you wake up in the morning, you search grizzly, grizzly. Oh, dude, I'll turn you on to some grizzly bear. Oh, good, good, good shit. Um, but today you turned me on to some sweet, sweet neutral milk hotel. Yeah. So this is an album. I guess you'd call it alternative, although it's a bizarre alternative in the music world. Really, does seem to be a catch-all term for we don't know how to qualify this right and neutral milk hotel uh did two albums i mean okay so neutral milk hotel is uh, it's an act that yes i I don't want to minimize the contribution of other musicians to this outfit but it's essentially the whole identity of it the sound of it the personality of it is one guy it's uh jeff mangum yeah and they put out one album called uh, on avery island 
And so as the story goes, they put out this album, and shortly after this album was released, uh, Jeff Mangum, maybe he was at an airport, but he came across uh, Diary of a Young Girl, the book by and about Anne Frank. And he read the book, and he became obsessed with Anne Frank, almost uh, fell in love with her in a way, and the way he's talked about it since. And sometimes it depends on when you catch him, whether or not he'll talk about it, whether or not he will acknowledge that that is the case. But the version of the story that I've seen him tell is essentially he he fell in love with the idea of this girl and how how deeply, profoundly sad it was that she was ripped from the world the way that she was and how wouldn't it be incredible to step through time and be able to save her? And that fed into the creation of In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, which is, it's, it is many different things, but one of the through lines seems to be when viewed through that prism, it's this, this desperate, pained, love-filled ode to Anne Frank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had read a few articles about the creation of this album and they mentioned that and he also said that like if he were if he ever had the chance to meet Anne Frank, she's the type of girl that he would have been into. And so it also like layers which in- is quite a quite a concept. Yeah. It's it's a little a little strange, but like we've on this show talked about um how music can both elicit and invoke emotion. And I feel like after hearing it and reading about how it's kind of uh, been interpreted by so many different people, I feel like this is one of the best uh, examples of how music can do both in that there, he came in with a specific idea and he himself essentially had a general idea, found this book, layered it onto what he was feeling at the time and then now as people listen to it it also hits them in certain ways and so like they'll ask him about how they've interpreted it and he'll he's also like a david lynch in that right it's like okay well i i'm not necessarily going to confirm or deny this but if you saw that in it if you heard that in it if it means that to you Mm -hmm. okay right and so i feel like everyone who listens to this album so far that i've come across uh has their own connection to it they see themselves in it in the the like the layers of love and desperation and just the wanting to be with someone but knowing it's inevitable to fail yes and i mean that's that is a big big pronounced through line and of course there are plenty of other ideas that he's playing with i mean the idea of uh, I'm speaking very broadly, but the idea of two beings that are in that say maybe they're in love and they share this powerful connection and they uh, essentially the fusing together of these two beings into one being and then potentially the ripping apart again and how how painful and shocking and and profound that experience is. Um, but you, you mentioned the word, I mean, you used the word desperate a couple of times. I think we both have used the word desperate a couple of times. And, th- and that brings me to wanting to talk a little bit about the sound of this album. And, and yes, there's a ton of, a, a wide variety of uh, instrumentation. Yeah. Uh, varying musical styles that seem to have all been thrown together and uh, to create this like really unique collision of sounds. But, of course, I think the, the element that stands out maybe the most is uh, Mangum's vocals. 
Mm-hmm. And there's another album much like, uh, I think the last album I brought in, which was uh, Rain Dogs by Tom Waits. You have another vocalist who maybe doesn't have a great voice in like the traditional musical theater sense of the word. Mm-hmm. But I think his voice is incredible in that it is so, it is it is so un, unselfconsciously desperate. It feels like he so badly needs to get this out. Like it is just all of these powerful, uh, deep, uh, this sense of longing and all of these associated emotions. It is so overwhelming and it has to, has to, has to get out of him yeah. somehow, no matter what. And he is so, it is so unselfconscious and so, like you say, it feels so desperate. Almost like I saw one review that I looked at uh, reference the idea that it it sounds almost like he feels he's running out of time and he has to get all of this out as quickly as possible. And there is something so unselfconscious about it. And I think, too, like one of the articles that I was reading was talking about how, uh, you know, that it was never, a, certainly never a reviled album. I think it was very well respected even when it was released in 98. But there are certain circles in which it has not been embraced the way certain other alternative albums of the same time have come to be embraced. I mean, like, I think at least the, like the okay computer album by Radiohead comes to mind, which is a fantastic album. Mm -hmm. But like one, one writer that I read was speculating. It could have something to do with the fact that although uh, in the airplane over the sea is no less, technically or musically proficient than the work being done on a lot of these other albums. It is so blatantly unconcerned with seeming cool. And I think, you know, I think especially people that gravitated towards a certain alternative scene of that era, I think the appeal of how, yes, weird, but how cool a lot of these bands and acts were while being very weird and outsidery. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I get why if that's, what you're drawn to the the desperate unselfconscious lack of cool on this album maybe you don't quite know where to put it but to me that is maybe the single most compelling thing about it interesting i uh i not for a second did i think man this guy's vocals are off or non-traditional like it reminded me of things that I still listen to today. Like it reminded me of like a Jimmy world or a uh, stray light run, things of that sort, things that people nowadays would qualify as like emo um, in a, in a certain way. And it's, it's very folksy, which I believe is one of the other genres. It sometimes falls under Yeah, when I can't, I can't claim to know what, all of these bands influences were, but I wouldn't be surprised if neutral milk hotel was somewhere in that list, or at the very least, some of these bands were probably influenced by acts that were influenced by neutral milk hotel. Right. Yeah. And I, I personally love albums where the, the person who's singing and and the band itself has something that they're, they're expressing really deeply and and just trying to get across because I feel like that is the essence of good music is essentially they say in, in musical theater like you sing when when words can't convey the emotion that you feel right and so that I feel like uh, it should apply to all music that's created in that like you you come to a point where you have to feel the melody and it comes out through your mouth whether it's like the most polished or it's it's like 
what's the it or it's just raw emotion um i feel like that creates the the most resonant music yes and you just use the word raw and i think raw is another really excellent word to describe the sound on this album it does it feels so it feels more than most albums that i listen to and i think a lot of this is owed to the fact that that and I nothing against super overproduced pop stuff. I like super overproduced pop stuff as much as the next person, I guess. But the fact that this album, it yes, there's a certain level of production, but it almost it sounds almost barely produced. The sound, the baseline sound on a technical level feels very raw compared to a lot of albums that you're going to pick up. And then of course the the quality of his vocals and how again like how sad it sounds. Like there is something so to me emotionally affecting about this album and like I've this album has been with me for years and years and years I mean over well over a decade and I've heard it so many times and it's one of those you know how like you'll have and and I feel like most people don't have more than 10 probably in a lifetime an album that back to front it feels like you internalize it in a certain way that it becomes part of your DNA. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're always carrying around. If not, it doesn't mean that the songs are playing on a loop in your head all the time, but you start to carry around the feelings that, that it evokes and you start to, you're able to connect or depending on the album, I suppose, but you're, you're able to connect with it in very unique, very personal ways. And I know this album has always been one of those for me. And even to this day, if I listen to the entire thing and I'm, I'm in a private space, you mm-hmm. know, not, not in public, you know, not on a train or whatever, but like if I'm listening to it by myself in like a, a quiet, private, calm space, I will still get emotional. Like there's the, I feel so affected by, even if it's just, you know, I've heard it so many times that it's not, I'm not caught off guard by any of it. I know what's coming when, yeah. but there will just occasionally be a line and it's uh, the, a line in the song combined with ha- just this desperate pleading way that uh, Mangum is delivering all of these lyrics will still just so it'll hit something so deep within me. And I feel so powerfully moved because even though I cannot relate to the alleged specifics of the genesis of this album, I do not myself harbor a particular longing affection uh, or obsession with Anne Frank, but I feel I can so relate to the types of emotions that he is conveying and conveying in such a raw, such a desperate way. Yeah. I, even beyond the like Anne Frank connection, I feel like there's definitely a piece that we can all relate to in that we've all had people that we have felt love for that we either couldn't be with or we were with and knew it was going to end or essentially ended before we were ready for it to do so. So even beyond his love for Anne Frank, I think we as humans who feel things uh, can also really, uh, I guess, take it in and and apply it to our own lives. Like for me, when I was listening to it, it had a very big feeling. I kept the, the term that kept coming to me was summer love in that it's, it's this love that you have, but you know, like at the end of the summer, it's, it's most likely going to be gone. Maybe you're going off to college. And so you're together at that time, but then you have to split off by the time that, uh, at the time that autumn comes, things of that sort. So it's this feeling that like love 
is best enjoyed while it's there, no matter how fleeting it is. Well, right, and this anguish that comes with being incredibly aware, painfully aware that this wonderful thing is fleeting, and it almost makes it not just not just difficult to enjoy, but it almost makes this wonderful feeling torturous right because you know that no matter how good it is that moment is coming where it's going to be ripped away and it always feels like dude like you've been in relationships right and you've been in relationships where you care very much about each other and then at some point that relationship ends and even if on some level you know that long term it's for the best it feels like a massive chunk has just been completely ripped out of your torso right and you feel like you're walking around with just a big open wound and that too is, is a, something else i feel listening to this album it's like almost like he has ceased to be uh, a human being and he is just this big massive raw open wound of emotion and uncomfortable sincerity and all all of this that he he just has to has to has to get it out and yeah Ooh, ooh, my heart. <laughs> but like, you, it's it's so. If you give yourself over to it, if you give yourself over to the completely unpretentious lack of coolness and rawness and uncomfortable earnestness, I feel like yeah, there is something there. If you're being completely honest with yourself, anybody can relate to that feeling. And if it's not a romantic relationship that comes to mind when you think about some of those ideas there has to there there's no way if you've lived there's no way that there's not some one-to-one for for anybody right because it happens in friendships it happens in families there's wherever there's a relationship there's always a chance that it's going to have to end whether you fall out with your friend and you essentially don't talk for years or you fall out with your family and have to essentially start from scratch and, and move to another place or something to that effect it it stems beyond just like one-to-one effectual love and that any connection that you have there's always this little piece in the back of your mind that says this could end at any moment Maybe they die. Maybe they uh, leave. Maybe you leave. Maybe something else happens that like makes it so you can't be together. But like overall, it's this little nagging feeling that everyone has, no matter how long they've been with someone. Right, and I feel like that that transition from one to the other is a lot of what I feel is being, if not overtly explored, then I think certainly it's part of the subtext that it's that that period of change, whether you're changing from being a, a lone singular organism to coming together and almost fusing with somebody else, or whether you are transitioning in the other way from being joined with someone else as one organism, as you often feel like you can be, whether it's in a romantic relationship or even just a really close friendship. It's like in a way when you're together, you almost function if you know each other well enough and you're comfortable enough you almost do function as one unit Mm -hmm. so the flip side is transitioning in the other way where you are what feels like a full half of you is being ripped from you yeah in this way that is exceptionally painful Mm -hmm. always is and then you have to refigure out who you are without that person. Yes. Which is it, yeah, absolutely. And it it's that period, it's that passage uh, from one state to another, too, is something that I feel very strongly is evoked by the album. Whether it was intentional or not, though I, I have to assume, given some of the content that is made explicit in the lyrics, I have to assume that there was this was a thought process that figured in. But it, it is that period of transition of passage from one of these states to the other in either direction and of course like to me as well I remember 
listening to this album quite a bit on planes. There was a, a point in my life where I was actually, I was traveling to and from Chicago a whole bunch. Yeah. And I have very distinct memories of being on the plane going in either direction, listening to this album and just, just like sitting in it just cause you're on an airplane. There's really nowhere for me to go. Right. So I just sit there like by the window. I like look out the window. I watch the sky. I watch the clouds and I listen to this album and it's like these ideas of transition of passage then of course being made literal for me in a personal way because it is accompanying my own physical journey from one uh, spot to the other and then of course there were there were other there were other factors at play in my journeying back and forth uh, to and from Chicago that lent itself to this album hitting me uh, in a completely different way talking about you know, some of the things we've been talking about, about relationships Mm -hmm. and trying to transition from one stage in a relationship to another stage, discovering that maybe it isn't to be, and then making that other transition as well. So this album being a a companion piece of sorts to both physical journeys of mine, and then certainly emotional journeys as well. Like it, it back to this idea of, I feel personally like I have internalized this album in such a way that it's like it, when certain things happen, sound maybe sounds a little odd, but when certain things happen, it's like you don't even hear it in your head necessarily. You you feel not even a specific emotion that you can put words to, but you almost feel the music again mm-hmm. in a moment without being fully specifically conscious of the fact that that is what's happening. Right. Yeah, I get that a lot. Uh, usually, uh, for me, I'm I'm a very singy person, so like specific lyrics will come to mind that I've related to at certain points. Um, so well, when you were young, you were the king of carrot flowers. Of course I was. Uh, roses for eyes. I think that, that's a... <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yes, there's a reference to roses for eyes at a certain point. Yes. Um, so how were you first introduced to the album? I Honestly, I don't remember. I Somebody must have recommended it to me, I think, when I was in high school. Yeah, maybe. And I, I, for the life of me, I can't tell you who it was or when it was. It's one of those. I know for a fact that this album was not always with me. I mean, 98, you know, I was youngish and I discovered it later. I discovered it, you know, the better part of a decade after it had come out. Yeah. But yeah, I don't remember. And like, it does feel, even though, like I said, I know for a fact it was not always with me It because because it is so now foggy how I came to discover it, it does in a way add to this feeling of, oh, this album's just always been there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Because, yeah, because you've made reference to what I would assume having been in a relationship at that point um, and so relating to it in that way. And I can definitely see that aspect in that. I uh, When I was listening to it, I felt like... I, I was traveling back to old relationships of mine and especially because being a single man now, they're all over. (laughs) Um, But you're, but, but too, like it speaks to, it speaks to everything we've been talking about because your most recent passage from one state, we're only talking about states and relationships. Your most recent passage has been out of a romantic relationship, but in theory, assuming that you haven't, committed yourself to a lifetime of celibacy from here on out 
eventually you will complete the transitionary phase that you're in into like back into the like the fusing of two people. Yeah. So you're just in a another transition. But I feel like that too is true of like if you want to get really like big picture existentialism. Hell yeah. That is life, right? Like we're constantly in a state of transition from one to the other. And that too, like I'm in a relationship now and I've been in a relationship. This is something I never talk about by the way on any show I always usually I dance around the fact that I'm in a relationship because I just feel I don't talk too much about my personal life on yeah. a lot of these shows I, I usually save the space for being real effusive about stuff I like mm-hmm. um, or dancing around people's attempts to make me say mean things <laughs> um, but yeah so I've been in a relationship for two years and I'm very happy in this relationship I think it's incredibly strong but you have to on a certain level accept that yeah this could be this could be incredibly temporary and no matter what, it's temporary because eventually, spoilers, we're all going to die. What? So no matter what, I, sorry, dude, I know I know you wanted to finish the story yourself and see where it went, but like, I'm going to save you the time. But yeah, we're all going to die. It's a bummer. It's, it's like you just turned to the last page of life and then read the last line and we're like, we're all going to die. How dare you? Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Now you can't even enjoy the story. Seriously. Point being, <laughs> if, that, if that doesn't... You know, if if you're lucky enough to find somebody that you want to share a life with and that's how it concludes, great. Not everybody is that lucky. And my point isn't that I won't be. It's that you don't know. Without a time machine, without a crystal ball, you can't see into the future. So you have to accept that this thing that is so fulfilling and so wonderful and, and brings you this feeling of strength uh, at, at times where you feel like you most need it, it may just go away. Yeah. And it and so you're constantly in this or at least I feel like I'm in this back and forth. Not constantly in in like it's not a, a reigning thought process. I'm not thinking about it so much so that I can't enjoy the relationship. But there are moments where, yeah, this this feeling of, of love, of comfort, I think like we were alluding to earlier, yeah, almost becomes torturous because you you become so cognizant of the fact that you may be forced into that that passage out of it. Right. And I feel like every time, I don't know about you, but I feel like every time you go through, I mean, any any big experience, especially a big experience where you feel like you are experiencing loss, I personally feel like every time that happens, like where you feel like you've been completely torn down, mm-hmm. I feel like it's not enough for me to push my way through it and move on. I feel like at that point, every single time that I have to rebuild myself right, uh, piece by piece, you know, like brick by brick, brick yeah. from the ground up. And, and yeah, it's just all that feeling too, that feeling, how, how difficult that process always is and how anguished you feel going through that. And especially like after a really bad breakup, there's always an element of like, well, what is the point? Why am I even bothering? Like who's ever, who's ever going to love any version of me again? But, but you make yourself do it. You make yourself do it no matter how much. And honestly, it hurts, I think more to really force yourself to do that personal work while you're already going through this extreme feeling of loss. Yeah. And again, like, I feel like this album is perfect for it. Cause even though he's not necessarily explicitly singing about say the scenario I'm describing, it's, it's that same feeling mm-hmm. and it's that same feeling of, especially when you know, say a relationship is over and like, you know, it. it's not over yet. But, but you know, it's like both parties know yeah. and you feel like maybe there's nothing you could do to stop it, but you have to try to say, so you have to get something out. You have to say, you, you're almost desperate to say something to the other person to convey to them 
how you feel, if not in a way that's going to change their mind, at least so I, I, some you're desperate to like grasp onto the, the last bits of that connection. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that, that feeling is, is one of several, but it's exactly one of the feelings that I feel like I, I revisit in a way every time that I listen to this album. Yeah. Would you qualify this album as like a concept album? It's not a story. And it's, but there are different, there are elements where it's like you see, well, almost like the character of the two-headed boy right. comes back in Two-Headed Boy Part 2. Go figure. Um, <laughs> there is connective tissue, I think, but I, I'd be... I'd be curious to see what other people think about that because to my my inclination is to say no. Okay. Because as I understand it, concept albums usually there's there's a stronger, not a plot, but more of a a through line, a specific through line. Yeah. But I guess not necessarily. I feel like that's a very narrow definition of what a concept album can be. Right. Because Tom Waits's album. The Rain Dogs wasn't technically there was no specific through line, but it is qualified as a concept album in that there are all these different characters that you come across. None of them really reoccurring, but essentially each each song in itself is a story, and so and it's all kind of taking place in the same environment. Um, I mean, to me, I I I felt like there was a specific through line. Uh, specifically between like the two-headed boy and this this girl he's pining after. Like if I were to put a a narrative behind the whole thing, it would be that like there are these two people that are together. Um, at a certain point, uh, in my head, this is my narrative. Uh-huh. Um, in a cert- at a certain point, she like has to start selling herself for some reason or another. Um, and this this guy is trying to save her from that. Um, and then the person who is essentially pimping her out is trying to keep him away. Um, and so like at that point you get to, that's where you kind of get to fool where it, it's really melancholy and it feels like all is lost and, and, and what almost feels like a, like a, uh, funeral procession. Right. Um, cause in a way it's kind of like the death of the relationship that they had before. And I feel like everything from that point on is the, the, two-headed boy character trying to re- trying to like reclaim what what is already lost and ultimately it, it it doesn't work and that's where you revisit him at the very end letting her go yes and uh, so this is this is one of my favorite albums that there is and it depends on which which day you catch me because when it comes to favorite anything my brain is super fickle so it really not only depends on the day but the hour yeah um if if two headed boy isn't my favorite song, then it's definitely top. It's got to be top five. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a good song. What I wrote, it's a very jaunt. It's a jaunty but sad song. Yes. Yeah. Which can be said of a, a lot of the tracks on the album because there are tracks that are solemn, but there are also tracks that are ostensibly a lot more upbeat. But if you really key into what the song is about, it's still about the same incredibly painful, uh, anguish inducing ideas right yeah i mean there was which uh it was king of carrot flowers parts two and three um it is a very good example of how it's it's still super upbeat and in 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 
the same way that the first part is, but it also includes all these really kind of dour, sour notes. So you're you're getting that uh, trumpet, saxophone, horn instrument um, that is keeping it moving, and it has a very dancey feel to it. But every so often, there'll be a really like low, sour note just thrown in there with the rest of it, which affects me personally in that like it it feels like. It, it feels to me like depression feels mm-hmm. in that you're you're steadily moving through the world and you're in it it you could feel as upbeat as you can but still there's like an undertone of sadness or darkness there yeah so i i was i was super on the fence about whether or not i was really going to talk about this because uh-huh. this is something else that i do not talk about uh but I kept thinking about it and because I kept thinking about it, I feel like the right call is probably to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, okay. So I suffer from a couple different forms of mental illness. I have been diagnosed by a couple of different doctors as having post-traumatic stress, uh, hypertension, something called hypervigilance, which sounds fun. It sounds like I'm Batman. It's not fun. It sucks. You're basically, your brain is constantly programmed to be looking for any potential threat, even when you know consciously, logically, that there isn't one. Your brain is constantly wired now to be looking for, almost like you're waiting for a fist to fly out of nowhere and hit you in the face. Right. Point being, all of that. Coupled with bouts of pretty severe depression, regardless of how objectively fine everything is. So when I talked earlier, for example, about this feeling of he is so he's got so much pent up. So all of these like incredibly powerful feelings that seems it sounds the way he sings like they're just destroying him. Mm-hmm. Almost, like they're just ripping up his his insides and he has to get it out because it's it's far too painful to keep all of that stuff contained yeah but because he is in the throes of such desperate passionate emotion the ways in which it comes out are sometimes very erratic sometimes very jarring sometimes uh, sometimes startling Mm -hmm. because he's only in a certain amount of control over how it comes out and unfortunately the side effect of that is some people may be turned off to it but i Oh crap, dude! Like that aspect of it, I find so uncomfortably specifically relatable. I feel the way some people talk about feeling seen when they see something in media that they maybe haven't encountered before that speaks so specifically to what they perceive their experience to be. I feel seen. I feel heard when I listen to this album because. Yeah. As I say, I've never been obsessed with Anne Frank personally, but I absolutely understand that feeling, that that desperate longing for whether it's a person or a state of being or some semblance of inner peace, mm-hmm. this desperate, desperate need to reach out to that thing. And, and if you can't even scrape it with your fingertips to just call for it as as powerfully as you can. That's what living with a lot of this stuff is like for me. It is this feeling of, and knowing, and forget romantic relationships. It's feeling like even just basic human connection is just, just out of reach. 
and you you reach for it because I think existence, I think the the most fulfilling parts of existence, I think are often yes, a, a sense of being productive. I think people tend to be happiest when they feel productive. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the other the other most crucial factor is human connection. Yeah. And when you feel like even the most basic initial human connections are just out of your reach, you start to feel so or I won't speak for anybody else. I start to feel so inadequate because I don't know how to build that bridge. Yeah. And I feel so desperate to try and, and connect with whoever, whoever it is that I'm trying to connect with. And out of that desperation, occasionally the way you express yourself and it's, it's nobody's fault necessarily. And it's like, yes, obviously if you're, if you try to be aware and you try to, uh, you know, make tweaks and adjustments as needed, but yeah, sometimes it expresses itself in weird ways yeah. and ways in which people don't know how to interpret it. So mm-hmm. then people go because people don't because I don't I don't talk about this, but people will completely understandably assume, oh, he's weird or he maybe is a little standoffish. He may be a bit of a jerk. I don't know. But most I mean, maybe I am a jerk, but but <laughs> uh a lot of it tends to be the direct byproduct of this inability to connect and this desperate longing to connect and your inability to my inability to bridge that, that gap being the source of so much anguish is a stretch. If only because I'm so used to this feeling now that I don't actively feel deeply anguished by it, but, but it's that, it's that exact feeling. And it's that feeling that I think if you, as so many people do, if you live with some of these same factors, I feel like you you know that feeling, that you live with that feeling. You walk around with that feeling mm-hmm. every day. And I think that is, that is very much a, a big factor in why to this day, no matter how many times I hear this album, every time I sit down and I listen to the entire, I mean, the whole album is, is about 40 minutes. I think it's like 39 yeah. minutes and 55 seconds. Uh, you see, you can get through it pretty quickly. It's not like you're setting aside an afternoon, but why to this day, when I sit and I listen to it, it's like I said, I, I feel seen and I feel, I feel connected. And it's, it's a piece of art that I think is hopefully all great art can do. It genuinely makes me feel for those 40 minutes. Like I am less alone Yeah, because it's articulating something that I am not articulate enough to put words to myself mm-hmm. that is so pervasive and so familiar in my experience. Yeah. So that's why it's like, I was very, I was very on the fence about talking about any of that. And like, yeah. we could do a whole two hours just on some of this stuff. You're missing out on Lex's mental illness. Um, but I, I don't know. I felt like it was, it was important just as far as adding some context to what my relationship with this piece is. And I think a big element of why it continues to be important to me. Yeah. And I, I definitely get that. And, and a part of what has started building our friendship is that we both kind of have our own uh, depressive spouts and then we kind of connected in that regard. And you, you kind of hit on how essentially isolating depression can be in that like even if you wanted to reach out to someone there's there's a certain aspect of you that doesn't really know how and so that in and of itself 
pushes you deeper inside yourself. Yes. Um, it becomes a cycle at a certain point yeah. that becomes incredibly difficult to break where it's like you feel inadequate to begin with mm-hmm. and you feel like you're so far away from everybody and you're trying, but you don't, you don't know how to get closer and then other people, and it, I get it, I get, I get why this happens, but other people don't know how to interpret it. And then they start treating you, whether intentionally or not, like you are a weirdo, or maybe you are lesser than, or maybe because they don't realize why it's so difficult for you, they're not putting in any additional effort to help you build that bridge. And then you, or at least, yeah, I do, I start to internalize it in a negative way. And yeah. it starts to put me even deeper into that hole. Right. And it's, it's a big cycle because then once you're even deeper into the hole, it's even harder to make those connections, which means gradually you start to get pushed further and further into that hole and it gets harder and harder and harder. Right. Yeah. It's what I like to call micro rejections in that it's it's an almost uh, overly common thing in that like you're you're trying to attack this problem from so many different angles and it's a just continuous failure and, and that failure essentially is a, a mirror on yourself that like slowly kind of tears you down and wears you down. And so it takes a lot of like mental fortitude to just keep going. Um, but also I wanted to say that I, I'm glad that you felt comfortable enough to share that in that the people who listen to this could also feel as isolated as you or I do. And in hearing you talk about her and hearing me talk about her, just hearing anyone in general uh, express the feelings that they might be feeling is another way for maybe our audience to not feel alone. In addition to listening to this album. Yeah. And let me look, there's a, I think a big part of my hesitation to talk openly about, about some of this stuff has a lot to do with the fact that like, look, we live in Hollywood, California, and we're all trying to work in this insanely competitive, crazy fickle business. And somewhere in my head, this, this idea took root that I shouldn't talk publicly about this stuff until and unless I already have built some type of career. Right. Because once you're already in, you can talk about it and people will go, oh, my, how brave. Look at what they've accomplished against such adversity. I've, we're so impressed by them. Whatever. My fear in talking about it before I've built up any type of career is that it's then very easy for people to callously say, well, okay, we like you, but we also like this guy and this guy doesn't have any of that baggage. Right. And I got to a point very, very recently, I mean, very recently where I have started to go, you know what? Yeah, of course I'm going to keep pursuing the, the type of career that I want to, but I don't want to lie you know, and I yeah. think, I think, especially if you're, if you deal with a couple of an interesting cross section of factors, eventually people are going to figure out that something is up and it doesn't mean you can't work. It doesn't mean you're, you'll be an issue or a liability. I get on paper. It's a little bit, you know, like, mm, but they'll, they'll see you in a moment. They'll see a moment that feels weird mm-hmm. or they'll see a moment where you feel disconnected somehow and they won't know what it is yeah and you may end up looking worse than if they knew or this is not you i'm not i'm gonna refer only to myself it's my fine. fear no i know i just don't want anybody to think that i'm speaking for their experience i can only speak for my own right my thought process now is if if being open about not, you know, I'm not going to walk into an audition and be like, I suffer from mental illness. Um, but being open about it, not 
hiding it, knowing, of course, there are appropriate places to talk about it. Right. I feel like actually it's, I'm better off if if I'm not hiding it and if people know if, I, if I'm in a work situation and I have an odd moment. And my odd moments tend, I don't get... You know, I don't get explosive. I don't get angry. I just get sometimes a little, a little bit sullen and a little bit non-communicative. Or occasionally, I'll be overcompensating and I'll get a little try too hardy. Right. Or um, you'll throw your feces. Or yeah, just poop in my hands and smear it all over the person next to me. Yeah. Um, no matter who it is. Um, but you know, it, it might help contextualize it a little bit. Now, maybe it's not going to do me any favors. Maybe it's just going to be a lateral move and it won't make any difference at all one way or the other, which maybe is the best case scenario, honestly. Right. But, you know, I think it's I think it's more important to be open about it than to try and hide it because, A, yes, maybe it'll contextualize some of my otter moments for people if they're aware as long as, you know, as long as you can do the work. Yeah. You know, of course, you still have to be able to do the work. You don't get it. Unfortunately, you do not get it free. Well, Unfortunately slash fortunately, you don't get a free pass, you know, which, which of course it's like, then there's still people who don't understand that this stuff is real. Uh-huh. And so when you're lagging behind a little bit because you're dealing with very real shit and people point the finger at you and suggest it's your fault for not trying hard enough, that's crushing. Yeah. Um, especially when you've tried to make it clear you are doing your best. It's important to be upfront about it. It, forget forget me and whether or not I can work. I think it's important to be upfront about it because so many people are dealing with the same stuff. Yeah. And no, no matter what version of it you're dealing with, even if you know you've got people around you that can relate, you still feel you still feel alone. Yeah. That's that is an I feel an inevitable byproduct of any form of depression. It is like you said before. It is incredibly and powerfully isolating. Mm-hmm. And so I think it is especially especially now when it's like we as a culture just like we're just airing all our shitty laundry everywhere every day now. Why not? Why not try and do something a little positive if we're all just airing all our shit and yeah. and say you know what, I see you. Mm-hmm. I can't make you feel better. I wish I could, but I see you yeah. and you're not alone and you don't have to be ashamed and you don't have to be afraid. I think it's important. And I feel like I can't sit here and say all of those things. If I am not willing to step up and be honest about what I experience again, say, I'll say again, yes. Even having now said everything I've said, there's a part of me that later is going to want to text you and be like, maybe we shouldn't put that out. But I'm, I'm, I trust that I'm going to refrain from doing so. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's scary. Like, yeah. you know, you know how scary it can be to, to be, make yourself that vulnerable ever. Right. Which, by the way, does bring me back finally to this album we're talking about. Because it is, it is that. It is that that terror of making yourself that vulnerable of ripping your heart out and showing it to somebody else and, and saying without saying it, please accept this Mm -hmm. because, because to reject it, it it would be more than I could stand. It would just obliterate me into, into a million particles. Um, That, that too, that can be what it feels like to be open about say one struggles with mental illness. It feels, it feels very much like you're ripping your heart out and showing it to somebody and saying, I'm giving you all the power that there is. Mm -hmm. Please don't use that to hurt me more. Right. Well, yeah, they, they say, and by they say, I mean, 
I've experienced um, that like emotional risks, risks and vulnerability are the biggest things that we avoid in our lives and that they're the scariest thing. Like I could be reckless with money. I can be reckless with my body, but you ask me to share how I feel about things and I will bend over backwards not to do so. Yep. Um, so I, I get that. And it, it's weird. Cause I, I think that we, as people don't realize how much, I guess, em- how much power we have over each other emotionally and, and how much we affect each other. It's like you were saying how, um, maybe it's a lateral move you putting it out there, but like you moving laterally means that you as a person from what I could understand, we'll still have a little bit more peace of mind in knowing that you have expressed it and that you, uh, that whether people know or they don't, you've made, taken those steps to put it out there. And even if your life doesn't change at all, or even if, look, even if somebody, somebody does want to run their business that way and you do lose a job because of that, just knowing that, you can put it out there and the sky won't fall. Yeah. I think that's incredibly freeing because I think that's certainly a fear that I've carried around. And because I've carried it around, I have to assume that at least one other person suffering through the same type of thing carries that feeling around. And if one person does, then there have to be hundreds. Yeah. Just, just getting it out there and knowing that the world doesn't stop. Right. That it's, that it is okay. Like, yeah, you're going to get a lot of people that are still, pretty callous about it and that sucks but that's not your fault and I get to how easy because I know how easy it is for me to blame myself for every possible thing even if there is absolutely no logical way it can be my fault yeah so just just putting it out there and seeing I'm still here I'm still okay Mm -hmm. you talk about empathy and I feel like that we we talked about this so many times, I think on the show a little bit, but we talk about it off mic a whole bunch. I feel like we're not as a culture really working those empathy muscles very much at all, especially yeah. lately, but I don't think that's a new problem. I think we're just unfortunately seeing the inevitable result yeah. now of a society that tends to act without empathy. At some point, people seem to have gotten it into their heads that it is somehow cooler not to care. Yeah. That it is somehow cooler not to engage emotionally at all. Now, of course, there's a line. If you are breaking down in a big uh, a big way, making a spectacle of yourself in public because you can't possibly contain your emotions, yeah. that's not good either. But... Uh, I don't and I don't know how to how to convince people that it's not only not cooler not to care, it actually very directly makes you weaker. What in my opinion makes you a stronger person is by allowing yourself to be open to these emotional experiences because yeah, like you say, they can be terrifying yeah. and they can be incredibly painful and that to me put by allowing yourself and not forcing yourself through it by allowing yourself to experience these things go through these things that to me is what makes you a stronger more complete person right it's like bringing it back to both the album and and things we were talking about earlier yes every every risk you take has the a possibility of essentially ripping a piece of you from it but 
also when you're rebuilding yourself, you're building yourself back stronger. Those who try to avoid being hurt or taking those emotional risks or being vulnerable, they essentially are stagnant until they are able to make any type of move or adjustment. They just stay who they are. They get deeper and deeper. They essentially double down on who they think they are and make it so that they can't question who they are as individuals or whatever make they feel makes them uh makes their identity and that essentially creates what we kind of has talked about in that we it creates a society that is so up their own asses mm-hmm. um that they can't care otherwise it'll break who they are yes yes and and i get how once you've once you've built a a shell allowing in anything that could challenge it feels very much like well what if i internalize this thing and it completely unravels my sense of identity mm-hmm. i would argue that unless unless what you're letting in is like i guess this goes back to some when we were talking about higher learning and by the way it's a couple real heavy shows and do you remember this used to be a fun show about vaping birds yeah um but i think when we were talking about higher learning we were talking about how there are plenty of uh insidious predatory types uh they used to do it in person now they're they're mostly doing it online if if what you're allowing in is like radical ideology in an attempt to convert you to some type of terrorist cause no don't let that in that's not what i'm talking about but if you you have to be open and you have to allow yourself to be challenged because if you if your worldview is a certain way and look, it's one thing if it's not there are plenty of confused worldviews that are pretty innocuous that aren't really hurting anybody. It's like yeah. you'll hear somebody describe their point of view and you'll go, huh, interesting. Wouldn't have really thought about it that way. Right. This seems harmless. Yeah. But there are plenty of people that are holding on to these ideas because they're too scared to let them go. And even if the ideas aren't hurting anybody around them, people are closing themselves off to learning, to growing. Everybody wants to be, I say this a lot, everybody wants to be validated, but nobody seems to want to be educated. Mm -hmm. You have to challenge, not every day, it'll get exhausting if you every single point, if you get pedantic about it, every single point you're questioning. But yeah, you have to take the things that you believe the most strongly and allow yourself to challenge the heck out of them. Mm -hmm. Because only by doing that will you determine whether or not they actually stand up. Um, we are running out of time. Are we? Okay. Uh, so, uh, for the record, I always feel the other, the other way I feel weird, uh, talking about all of this is I want to make sure to clarify, even if it's completely unnecessary, that none of this, not a syllable is meant in anything even remotely resembling an, oh, poor me type of way. Yeah, But I always want to make sure, even though, I mean, you tell me if you feel like it was necessary at all uh, after this conversation, but I always feel like I want to make it a point to say that just in case anyone interpreted anything I said that way. Right. That's not, that's not what I'm doing. I'm not sitting here and saying like, I don't want, I don't need sympathy about it. Like empathy. Yes. And that is a big part of why I'm choosing to talk about it is because I, I feel great empathy towards everybody else who, who deals with anything similar. None of it is about, Oh, my life is so hard. Feel sorry for me, whatever. Cause that, that that's its own type of exhausting and unhealthy. Right. Um, so no, for the record, that is nothing 
like that, whether or not it's, it was at all necessary that I add that disclaimer. Right. Well, I mean, I get the, the desire to add it because there are people who, again, don't flex that empathy muscle and would interpret it that way. But I do, I feel like this whole conversation has been more about how we relate to this media, how it makes us feel and how other people can relate to our experiences, uh, in, on a broader sense. Um, so anyone who does feel like uh, talking about mental illness or d- depression or anything like that is essentially a plea for sympathy or a, 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 a plea for some kind of pity, you go fuck yourself. You, yeah. you, you do it. You, you, you put your hand in your butt and you like <laughs> continuously shove in and it pull out. You just, you just, you just, or, uh, or if you have a penis, you just, you stretch it out or cut it off sanitary. and then just shove it. It's like it you're trying to pack all, all the scatological stuff into the back of the show. Cause we didn't do enough of it. Oh. Um, but I will, I will say <laughs> I, I definitely wouldn't use words like sympathy or pity. I would say, I think what most people are looking for when they try and share their experiences is connection. Yeah. Just pure connection. It's not about, in my opinion, hopefully, it's it's not about pity. It's not about sympathy. I don't think most people with mental illness want that. I won't speak for anybody but myself. I don't want that. Yeah. Putting yourself out there in this way, at least for me, is just about understanding and it's about connection. And honestly, yeah. it's like, look, I'm just, a per- you take it or leave it. You know what I mean? Like, hopefully you understand and hopefully you're open to the idea that, that, this is something real that people people do deal with. Whether or not it is real for you, it is very real for them. But it's not about pity. It's not about sympathy. I think it's just about connection. And that, again, brings me back to this album. And that's why it's been a weird, like, I'm fine. It's been just a weird couple of weeks for me. And I found myself going back to this album again. Mm-hmm. Because it feels like something that I... I can lean on. Because it feels like, oh, here is everything I'm feeling. And it's like it poured out of me. And now I'm hearing it. Yeah. Oh man, um, I would highly recommend it. Uh, he's I'm, only got, by the way, he's only got one other album. They, there's more than one musician on these albums. <laughs> um, Neutral Milk Hotel has one other LP. It's called On Avery Island, which was released first. It is also excellent, but I feel like In the Aeroplane Over the Sea takes everything that I loved about that first album and then builds on it. Nice. But yeah, you can knock out their discography in an afternoon. Not oh, even yeah. an afternoon, in probably under two hours. Probably. Uh, they're also they're both available on Spotify. I think they're everywhere. Spotify, I think Apple Music's probably yeah, not yeah. on. So uh, check them out. Uh, and while you're doing that, while you're on the internet, make sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. Make sure to, if you have some time, leave us a review. Uh, five stars if you love what we're doing Uh, all the other stars if you are a mean person Um, and if you you also uh, could leave a comment tell us what you enjoy and and tell us things that you'd like to see on the show and we do if you say nice things we do like to give you a shout out on the show we'll read your comments because we love we love the validation because who doesn't love validation if we're being honest right but we also want to make sure that you guys know we're hearing what you say we're we're taking it to heart and we love that that you guys are engaging so please keep engaging because we we love hearing from you yes please do uh you can also engage on with us on Twitter. Uh, it's Missing Outcast, M I S S I N G O U T C A S T on Twitter. Uh, and you can also hit us up on our personal Twitters. Mine is Tari J, T A U R I J A Y. And I am all over social media at the Lex Michael. 
so once again, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you uh, listening to this podcast and, and connecting with us. Uh, and we will see you soon. Yes, and we'll we'll get back to the the vaping birds and mechanical poop creatures soon. <laughs> we, we swear, it's just we got a we got a couple of heavy heavy yeah. shows within a within a short range. But we'll be back to the, like the really goofy, yeah. totally inconsequential stuff pretty soon. Probably Bro, we can be vulnerable and funny. Yank has to be afraid. <laughs> Let them emotional muscles go. I'm pumping my chest. Yeah, like you guys can't yeah. see it, but his whole it's like it's like his whole torso is the bobble part of a bobblehead. And then an alien pops out. Check please. The end.